0: Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and thank you for joining me for episode 74 of Inside Agriturf. Now I'm recording this in July 2022, exactly two years on for my very first regular episode of Inside Agriturf. It was at the height of the COVID restrictions, and my first guests were Ruth Bailey, CEO of the AEA, that's the Agricultural Engineers Association, representing manufacturers and suppliers, and Keith Christian, Director of the British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association, BAGMA, representing dealers. They talked at length on how they were working closely together to ensure that the industry as a whole was kept well informed on the ever-changing COVID rules and regulations to ensure that the service the industry provided to customers was maintained at the highest possible level. I called that episode A Collective Voice. So little did we know that exactly 12 months later, in July 2021, that AEA would buy BAGMA and take it under its wing. So it's highly appropriate, another 12 months on, that I should be joined uh, today by Ruth Bailey to see how the work is progressing, bringing two trade associations together who represent a common industry, but from different sides of the fence. So Ruth, thank you very much for joining me. Um, Tell me, what's that concentrated time spent working together with Keith over COVID issues the catalyst for the coming together a year later.
1: It could have been a catalyst, actually, Chris, because Keith and I uh, we have worked together many years, as you as if you, you've just pointed out, and I think there's been a relationship where we've tried to understand each other's issues. We've come across it with a, a perspective of let's work together, let's sort this, rather than a defensive position where that can can not always lead to any solution so 12 months on you know um, it's great but it is honestly we've got to know Keith and his team um, got to know some of the council members some of the members they're just a dedicated passionate group wanting the best for the industry
0: and the model, and the model you have, is is replicated in other markets as well. So you're not unique, being an industry body representing both the the manufacturers and the and the dealers, are you?
1: No, no, that's right. I, I know in the Netherlands, it's um, and Belgium, they both have manufacturer dealer organisations. Yeah. Ha,
0: have, have there been any any uh, unseen benefits, Ruth? Uh, things that you came out of it or have come out of it that you uh, hadn't foreseen?
1: I'm not going to say benefits, but I am going to say pleasant revelations, you know, again, down to Keith and his team. We've approached this as, um, yes, we are two organisations. We represent different members. We have different um, customer bases. But actually, um, most of the work that's gone on in this past 12 months has been about integrating all the services. You can imagine it. It's not the it's not the fancy stuff that you see up front but it is really really important in fact building databases from scratch new crm systems um, making sure accounts are all in place um, even a new website extracting ourselves from BARA, the old the, the, the previous owners that's been where we've had to really work together really get our thinking caps on it wasn't as easy as it looks on the surface it's never quite as easy as push a button and go is it Uh, but working together we found that actually the teams really integrate well and so I believe there are benefits in that we're both drawing on each other's experience we're kind of working together and I am going to say that though but it's true it is absolutely true
0: Uh, and have there been any instances where uh, uh, there have been any conflicts of interest that you've come across
1: not conflicts of interest, no. Not conflicts of interest.
0: And, and and bearing in mind that you've you've brought the two trade association together, has do you think it has resulted in a better understanding and appreciation of each other's um, point of view, if you like, or stance uh, between your uh, AEA members and the Bagma members?
1: I'm hoping so. It might be early days, and we're still living in times where it's. Um, I'm not going to say polemic. That sounds like it's really dramatic. But we do have issues with supply chains, as you know, um, we do have different perspectives from um, manufacturers, importers and, and the dealers. I want that understanding, that actually it's a whole supply chain issue rather than an individual bit that's gone wrong. I think that will be really beneficial to the the whole sector. Um, Keith and I and the AA and Bagma and those close with AA and Bagma certainly understand those issues. That uh, it's a whole chain.
0: And but I mean, it is only a year uh, where you had to extract yourself from the, the previous, uh, not say owners of Bagma, but uh, but uh, operators of Bagma. Yes. Shall we say? Yeah. Um, and there's obviously a lot of lot of work to do. Is it? Getting more difficult, I mean, you you obviously have quite a number of crossover in terms of membership because a lot of dealers are becoming suppliers now. Mm -hmm. Does that uh, present you with any issues in trying to uh, identify any conflicts of interest there? Knowing
1: that we're offering different services. So the AEA are offering the importers legislative guidance, guidance through all the standards and, and 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 technical guidance that actually an importer will need and it's becoming more and more relevant and pertinent now in the face of brexit that's not bagma's role that's not where i believe bagma's role is to advise on on the technical standards that's the AA's role uh, for an importer keith offering services that offer a you know a, a route to a successful dealership looking at um the market and how to do business and offering services that provide enhanced benefits to the member companies there there's a there are differences in the, the the levels of service that both organizations offer so I haven't seen a conflict yet I know you're probably referring to policy issues that might um, be interpreted differently on both sides so it's at the moment, there's a lot going on, you can imagine, and we're, we're kind of wading through through all the policies that are coming out. At the AEA, we've got incredibly competent people looking into these policies and how they will determine what happens in the marketplace. And that's what we do. I hope you understand what I'm getting at. Key Indeed. service is a, a bit of a different
0: model to that. Indeed. and It was ever thus, of course. And, um, you know, there's always been not necessarily a manufacturers from Mars and dealers from Venus attitude. But I think a lot of that has disappeared over the last few years. We are in a different era to that in which BACMA operated maybe 20, 30 years ago. So, uh, um, Ruth, one of the benefits that you highlighted in our original discussion two years ago was that um, in any discussions with government uh, and government bodies, it's much easier if you can represent the whole of the industry uh, rather than just a section of it.
1: Well, the the AEA is very, very close with government and we've got great ties with all the relevant departments, um, DEFRA and BASE and DIT and and, um, DFT, etc., um, the information that we get through these government departments, they want us to dissipate as wide as possible to our membership and to even convey a message across to our membership. So that is information that goes, if, when it's relevant to dealers, goes straight to to, to Keith, straight to uh for, for Keith to distribute, to put through his channels, to put through his meetings, as he sees fit. So that outreach is definitely a benefit of, of this. And of course, governments want to hear from industry always. They want us. They want as wide a selection of industry as possible. But they want that credible viewpoint. They want to work with organisations that are that have got credentials in the. Um, business world and, and that can really understand the impact of what they're trying to bring through policy. So.
0: Would it be true to say that uh, just ahead of the announcement of you, you, you coming together or your acquisition, shall oh. I describe it, as, as of BAGMA, you might have anticipated some uh, comment from members on both organisations. Did those come to pass?
1: We were concerned Chris, we did in our discussions, building up to the um, when we we came together, we did anticipate there might be some. What was surprising was we didn't receive any adverse comments, to be honest. I think there might have been one or two. But in terms of the general general consensus of, of, of people who we spoke to, certainly all the AEA members that I've spoken to, I've spoken at length with lots of members, it's all very positive. Our members, they know they need that national coverage. They know they need to distribute a product. They know they haven't got the infrastructure themselves and they need to get that product to the end user and they need to supply um, the services that go after the sale of a product um, to that end user. They can't do that and they're not doing that without some form of distribution. So the one needs the other. And and it was positive, absolutely positive uh, from my side of things.
0: You mentioned the services just now, services available to the members, both AEA members and to BAGMA members. I seem to recall that uh, there was uh, some of the services had obviously been negotiated through BIRA originally, and a number of those were going to be in place for a year. Are you coming up to a point at the moment where you're having to renegotiate certainly those services and benefits?
1: To be honest, that's been going on in the background. We are at a point now where we have control of all the contracts that we had. They're all negotiated in Bagma's own name. The transition's been there for not for members to see, but it's been there for members. They all they all receive the same services. It's been very very smooth. But we have negotiated behind the scenes the contracts. I keep put the work in. We've we've had those discussions. They're all now in in Bagma's own name, and we haven't. Um, we haven't lost any of the services.
0: Uh, and are there benefits available to Bagma members that are not necessarily uh available to AEA members and vice versa?
1: Well at the moment we're still quite separate. So yes, I think Keith may have gained members from the AEA because they've seen the services and thought, oh, actually there is a there's there's a lot of benefit there in, in joining Bagma. So I think Keith may have, have gained members that are AEA members. So um at the moment we they, they're separate we are, we haven't negotiated we haven't put that forward so the the, the benefits and services cross both organizations
0: So really, how do you see, again, you're only a year into this. How do you see the relationship or the structure evolving over the coming years? I think you just sort of kind of uh, suggested that there might be a greater coming together of both organizations in one way, shape or form. But um, is that the way you see it going?
1: It could be, it could be definitely, as we we certainly integrating in the backroom functions, is that the word, with all the, you know, the infrastructure that goes on behind. In terms of integrating into one organization, I'm not going to tell you that's on the cards, but I'm not going to say that had never happened because who knows? And I, I kind of think things are going really well at the moment, but if things don't grow organically. Something will come to make something happen and force your hand. You know, it's it's kind of nice to be in control of that process. I don't mean me personally, but I mean the AA board, the AA members, BAGMA board, BAGMA members, Keith and myself. You now, know,
0: Does this mean sort of responding possibly to um, different market conditions, uh, the evolution of the market and so on?
1: Uh, it could, could indeed. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how, and I might be digressing now, so forgive me, but we we talked about Brexit in unprecedented terms and you, you're always at the AA conference and you, you know, and, and um, I must have said Brexit, we're living in unprecedented times about four times. And then lo and behold, COVID comes around the corner. And then we have the cost of living and the Ukraine issues. Well, the Ukraine war, I mean, it's serious. So you can't ever say, really, what's going to what's
0: going to happen, what's around the corner, can you? No, you can't. As I said, we we talked first at this very opening episode of of this podcast, uh, was recorded during the COVID, and uh, both you and Keith reflected on uh, the work you were doing to make sure that the industry, all sides of the industry, worked together and and provided the service Mm -hmm. for customers. Uh, Are there any Aspects of the industry or the workings of manufacturers and dealers that you think have changed and have come out of that time.
1: Just speaking for the the, the services that we do, I mean, we, we adapted to online training, that kind of thing. I think Bergma offers online training as well. I think the online whole aspect of online kind of forced everybody to go down that route, but it was the catalyst to put us in a place where we needed to be. We've brought all this technology into our facilities at Peterborough. I'm old fashioned. I like talking face to face. I like this conversation here when it's one to one, even though we're online. So there are definite efficiencies, but I actually like a a meeting and a discussion face to face. And I think there's still a place very definitely for that. But in terms of COVID, I think what COVID showed, showed us is that everybody can, deal with things and adapt and adopt and yeah. move around things because we will always be there we'll always be doing what we're supposed to be doing and we'll we'll get around that so there, there
0: was a tremendous amount of resourcefulness shown by all sides Absolutely, of the industry yes. during covid and i think the customers of our industry were well served during that period Absolutely. and and uh, i think uh, it, it it was certainly a very impressive uh, operation and um, well done for your you, your your part in that. One of the things that your president David Withers brought up at the conference and um, was looking at the the future mm-hmm. dealerships, where the new dealers are going to come from. Uh, have you got any th- thoughts? I mean, I know you're not directly involved in, in yeah ba- Bagma, but do you have regular crystal ball meetings when when with almost um, a, a what if as the main <laughs> as the main uh. subject line?
1: We have been known to play the what-if game, yes. It's dangerous to talk on a podcast about the what-if game.
0: Yes, of course, I understand.
1: um, I think it's about recognising the value of all of us, the value of our industry, the value of our sector. And I think, but we need to see that value. I think I'm going to speculate here in that the dealerships perhaps need to change the emphasis of where their value is. That whole life cycle of a product, that whole augmented package of service is going to be the really, really, really important essential element, I think. How are we going to service equipment? How are we going to maintain equipment? And that is something that the dealer network has at its fingertips. It has the understanding of that. Perhaps technologies might move it into a different realm. There might be specialisms, might that there might be specialisms in... Batteries, uh, robotics, I mean... Fuel sources, of ...and updating yeah. software, this kind of stuff. and um, indeed. But that network needs to be there and that infrastructure has got to be there, I think. So it might be that we just change the nuances of the models for specialisms, get across the value of the service rather than um, seeing it as the difficult bit of the sale, you know.
0: Sure. There is, nobody would dispute, there is a considerable industry consolidation going off, both from uh, your your side on the manufacturing supplier side and also on, on the dealer side. Uh, just as an aside, I, I've got to, Copy of the Farm Implement and Machinery Review from 1965 uh, in my in my office, and um, they got a list of advertisers in the air, in the back. It's uh, November 1965, the, the month before Smithfield. There are 102 advertisers in that magazine, and not one is in in an independent state today not not one um the, the the nearest would have been class who are advertising but even that was taken out by man and company who were the importers in those days but absolutely none of them uh and you you can say that there are that there are companies like uh, new holland uh, mcconnell bomford mm. who are still around as a name but they're not in their original internet. as you look into your crystal ball Obviously, this continuing consolidation uh, must be something that you have to keep in mind.
1: Well, it is, but it is something that trade associations live with. And anybody who's involved in trade associations will know that you can't cover an overhead, can't cover the services and benefits that you deliver just by membership fees. I've worked in another trade association, and you have to look for other revenue streams, other services that, that are necessary. So you have to look for other revenue streams, and yeah, consolidation of industry is something that, but it's a fact of life. It it happens, and you have to evolve with it. There's you can't stand still. You have to evolve no, with it. No. So there'll be different services, different benefits that we'll be offering. Fewer companies possibly. Um, that might be how it works.
0: Yeah, sure. What um, what's number one? On your agenda currently, what what's the major concern? Um, I guess supply is is um, and components of machines and equipment. Is that the major concern at the moment for you, for you and your members?
1: For the members, definitely, yeah, it is definitely. And I think I intimated earlier, um, Chris. You know, the supply chain is a whole picture. It's not just the one product that doesn't get delivered to the customer that wants it now. It's actually goes way back through a whole. Um, chain of logistics where every piece has to fit in where it's being you know scheduled to actually get that product to that customer and we've all become accustomed to just in time for so long now that we think it's a given and actually when you look at that whole process where it starts there's a lot of things that are involved and a lot of things that can go wrong, or that don't actually live up to their part in that in that process. So, what we've got now is we've got this um pipeline that was squashed. We've got pent up demand, and we've got now orders are uh, outweighing sales they have done for a while in terms of backlogs, logs, and being and, and deliveries. But it's been a global crisis. I think everybody's seen around the world, and that's now manifesting itself in global price increases, inflation, etc. But it won't actually, this pent-up demand won't actually all come out of the pipeline at once and then everything smooths out. It will be up and down and volatile for, I think, quite some time. Uh, yes, so, are you
0: getting any sort of indication on forward trends on that when when well, it might return to whatever we might call normal these days? Well, at
1: the moment, we I'm going to say we can't say because you might get shipping prices easing a bit you might find a container but then you can't find this the semiconductors available that you want or if you find the semiconductors because you managed to find some your containers in the wrong place, or you, or you can't get the wheels. You know, and and the bigger the, more complex the machines, the more parts they've got in them. Um, or
0: you might you might yeah. stuff your container ship into the bank in the Suez Canal, or and
1: uh... well, that happens apparently. Yes.
0: <laughs> 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 Not apparently, it was. <laughs> so, so, what yeah. um, what sort of knock-on effect? I, I've just seen the figures that you've released on tractor registrations yeah. for the first half year. And I think, given everything that you've just said before, uh, th- 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 they might be seen as being relatively uh, encouraging because I think uh, the six thousand tractors, uh, six and a half thousand tractors, been registered, six percent down on last year, but actually above the the average. How are you interpreting them?
1: Yeah, and with that six percent being below average, obviously, with the supply chain working as normal, that possibly intimates to a quite a good year. Yeah. Lead times are being pushed out, aren't they? We're waiting for that pipeline to sort of push through. Deliveries or catch up with um, that backlog of orders, I think. But figures are relatively, um, they've been relatively OK, all things considered, shall we say.
0: Ruth, the, the lifeblood of any industry is, is our new recruits. I understand that uh, through the uh, organisation, I think that uh, the yeah, uh, Land-Based Engineering Training and Education Council, um, am I right you're just about to issue or, or publish a new website and you've been doing some work recording uh, with various dealers to include in that? What, what's the position on that at the moment?
1: Can I just take the opportunity, Chris, to just kind of put LEETECs in a bit of context? So so LeeTech is an industry-appointed group, but it's really worked hard through consultants such as David Kirshner, etc., to gain really strong credentials with all the, the government um, departments that are looking at apprenticeships and T-quals and all the new things. And, and the government departments come to us, they want industry input. So on the one hand, yes, we can do that, but we do need industry in terms of companies, employers, members to come to the table to help us. Letech has developed the land-based engineering apprenticeship. It's worked on the content for the TQOLs, which, of course, are mandatory. And I have to say that if LeTech doesn't do this work, we're not going to have a land-based engineering apprenticeship we aren't going to have one what the government will say is well you can join the manufacturing engineering and construction so we won't have our own differentiated apprenticeship or or agricultural t-qual if we don't put that work in but likewise it's an independent industry self-appointed body the Campaign that you talked about just now about trying to promote the industry. This is something that the AEA is heading up because we have people who are, have got digital um, skills. I've seen how long it takes to grab somebody's attention on, on one of these platforms. We're working on getting that material together in terms of videos and interviews with technicians and um, trying to get interviews about what the industry is about, to try and entice youngsters. And we'll put it all together with a new website, with a new campaign. We're trying to promote the industry to outside, outside of our sector, really. But one thing I do want to get across is it it, it isn't Leitech's responsibility to recruit. Youngsters nowadays, there's a cultural change. Um, they stay with a job for two years. Every two years, they move around, they move on. You've got to attract them, engage them, look after them, keep them interested. And you've got to recognize your staff are your most valuable asset. So when people try to infer that what's industry doing and what Leitech doing, you know, it's not LeeTech's responsibility to recruit. It is LeeTech who's taking on the mantle to try and promote the industry to a network of people outside the organization, schools, this kind of thing. We're trying to undertake that, but it is up to the companies and the industries to get involved and to really take the message on board that they've got to do the work, they've got to recruit.
0: You you very well explained what Leitech's role is, but maybe there should be a video that manufacturers can use as an industry video rather than relying on people finding the AEA or finding LeTech, which probably doesn't necessarily trip off the tongue for everybody, can there be some more joined-up thinking That's kind of what I'm Um, asking.
1: You know, Chris, and actually you've just hit the nail on the head. We realised actually nobody's going to look for the AEA unless they're a manufacturer or an importer. And nobody's going to look for Leetech. Why would they? So, this will be a campaign that has a different name altogether. And it's not in our name, it's not in anybody's name. It's just that something we've put together for the industry. And what we want from it is this kind of package that's on a plate that. You press the button, the teacher says, have a look at this. Have you seen what exciting things you can do in this industry? Let's face it, we we think we've got every ingredient. We've just got to get that message across. We've got technology, we've got innovation, we've got outdoors, we've got part of the sports, mental health, well-being messages. We've got something for everyone. We've just got to get that message across. So it won't be under the name of AEA. It won't be under the name of BAGMA. It won't be under the name of LeTech.
0: No. Those are
1: names that won't mean anything to anyone outside, nor should they. We're no. not precious about this. It doesn't matter. We've got to try to do something for industry.
0: And I guess it's, it's still the main Problem funding I and mean, to launch a, in a social media campaign is is not cheap. And to lo- launch it in the right way and get to the right people is quite a complex operation. been talked about for many years, hasn't it, Ruth? The manufacturers rowing in, but of course, there's so much change going on in the mm-hmm. manufacturing world that it's difficult to get consistency. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, um, I wish you well and we will probably talk about this again. Well, look, um, we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you ever so much.
1: And thank you, Chris, for recognising that, yes, 12 months is, is seems like a long time. There's a lot of hard work going on behind the scenes. We're in an absolutely great position now, and we're ready to move forward, I think. But it's a short period of time, really, if you think about the evolution of things, and thank you for recognising that.
0: No, I do, and I guess it's def- the classic swan analogy, isn't it? You know, all <laughs> serene on the surface, but paddling yes. like hell underneath. Many thanks once again, and might I wish you all the best in your continuing to evolve the e- eaa and bagma
1: thank you very much chris thank you very much indeed
0: that was a fascinating insight by ruth of the first 12 months since aea and bagma came together two trade associations with a long and proud heritage representing a single industry but different sides of the fence it is clear that much of the initial detail the nitty-gritty has been sorted out Next will come the strategic decisions about the future shape for the combined association to be taken against the background of rapidly changing market conditions. Twelve months is precious little time, and much has already been achieved, but as Ruth said, nothing is off the table. I'm Chris Biddle, thank you for joining me, and this is Inside Agriturf.